This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. What's going on? Welcome in to In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. 106.7 as well on your FM dial today. I am Jackson Schneider for your Wednesday afternoon, and we've got a lot to talk about today, but I want to start off on kind of the the tougher side, because last night, in case you didn't hear, a broadcasting icon, a broadcasting legend, and perhaps the greatest of all time in, in my field passed away. It was Vin Scully, the famed broadcaster, the voice of... The Brooklyn and the Los Angeles Dodgers. He he passed away at the age of ninety four and and uh, died in in his home last night, according to an announcement from from the Dodgers. He, uh, you know, is famous for a lot of different things, not just being an incredible incredible broadcaster, but he was at it for so long. He started. Um, in in the late fifties, and was the voice of the the Dodgers for like sixty something years, and it was the only real true gig that he had ever, you know, had or ever needed. And he was so good at it, he he just was a staple, not just for the Dodgers, but in in baseball. He'd called a handful of World Series. He had done a whole bunch of. No hitters, no per- and and perfect games and everything, but you know through it all. As I look back, you know, for a kid like me that grew up wanting to do sports broadcast and sports talk and everything, there's always the greats and and what make them stand out and what made Vin Scully perhaps the greatest that will ever do any form of sports broadcast was just how effortlessly he slipped in some of the most unique stories into broadcasts. And now part of that is the the nature of the sport of baseball. It's so casual from a broadcasting standpoint that what really separates you is your ability to tell stories and to, to tell people about the, the game and what's going on and things outside of the game. And I want to share with you one of his more iconic moments in in baseball. And it's a story that he told in a broadcast in a game between the Giants and the Dodgers. And it there's nothing that I can do that describes what you're about to hear. It, like, I can't put it into words and I can't do it justice. So without further ado, my personal favorite Vin Scully broadcasting story from a game several years ago. You know, Bumgarner tells a story which, in a sense, reminds you of what it takes to be a big league ball player. It's two years ago in spring training, and he and his wife were roping cattle, which is what they do. 1-1 one, one pitch, sinker low, ball 2-2-1, two, two and, and they were startled by a large snake. And Madison thought it was a rattlesnake, so he grabbed an axe, and he hacked the snake to pieces. But there's something more to the story. 2-1 pitch. Low. Ball three. Three and one. 
when his wife Allie and an expert field dresser examined what was left of the snake, she found two baby jackrabbits inside pieces of the snake and extracted them. 3-1 pitch to Turner, way inside, ball four. And after she extracted them a short while later, the Bumgarners noticed that one of the rabbits had moved slightly. It was alive. Well, his wife brought the rabbit back to their apartment. For the next few days, they kept it warm, bottle-nursed it, and the rabbit soon was healthy enough that they released it into the wild. And Madison said, just think about how tough that rabbit was. First it gets eaten by a snake, then the snake gets chopped to pieces, then it gets picked up by people and lives. It's all true. Meanwhile, line drive base hit to center by Hendrick, and the Dodgers are in business, first and second and nobody out. So I guess really the morale of the whole story about the rabbit and the snake, you've got to somehow survive, you've got to somehow battle back. A lesson well taught for all of us. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? Like, you're just casually listening to a baseball game, and somehow through his musings and his discussions with, at this in this example, Madison Bumgarner, a pitcher for the opposing team he he hears this story and you know there's there's a difference between hearing a story from you know from the mouth of the person who lived it and, and telling it in your own way but to do so the way that he does so effortlessly and it's just like you're sitting around and you're just having a great conversation but then simultaneously Relating it back to the sport of baseball and how it is so significant and why why that story matters in this sense. That's it's something that I will never get over. It will some it'll be something that we look back on for a very long time. And I gotta tell you, I'm gonna miss Vince Scully. I know he's been, I guess, out of his position with the with the Dodgers for about six years now. But he, he's an icon. He always will be. The press box at Dodger Stadium is named after him. There's a Vin Scully Avenue uh, leading up to the stadium in, in Los Angeles. He's an icon for a variety of different ways. But uh, just had to, had to start the show there today because I would be remiss if, if the greatest of all time in my industry had passed and we didn't acknowledge it. But... Uh, Again, Vin Scully, legendary broadcaster and voice of the Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers, passed away last night at the age of 94. Thoughts to his family and all of the Dodgers organization. I know they are mourning his loss again over the the last day or so, and then that's that's something that won't go away anytime soon. But uh, to continue on the baseball side of things, if you listened to our show yesterday. Uh, we were talking a lot of uh, trade deadline stuff. And when we were recording the show, the Royals hadn't done anything to our knowledge yet. But by the time we finished the show, they made two moves literally moments ahead of the 5 p.m. Central Time deadline. And we'll start with the the big one. The Royals acquired infielder Samad Taylor and right-handed pitcher Max Castillo from the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for Whit Merrifield. 
Merrifield, again, the 33-year-old who played in 95 games with the Royals so far this season, was hitting 240, had 30 extra base hits, 15 stolen bases. He had just collected his 1,000th career hit at Yankee Stadium on Saturday, and he played in 863 games as a Royal, which ranks 19th in franchise history. But all of the great that Whit Merrifield had accomplished as a Royal in his time with Kansas City has kind of gone up in flames over the last several weeks. If you think back, funny enough, to when the Royals had to go to Toronto just ahead of the All-Star break, 10 different Royals were ineligible to play in those last few games because they were unvaccinated. And one of those players was Whit Merrifield, but... When asked about that situation, it was comments that Whit Merrifield had made that really got him on the sour side of a lot of Kansas City fans. And it wasn't whether or not he wanted to get vaccinated. It wasn't that. Because we're deep enough now into coronavirus and the pandemic and vaccinations and everything that whether or not you get vaccinated, that is your business. But... It's what he said and his reasoning behind it that really rubbed a lot of people, including myself, the wrong way. He had said something to the effect, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, that he is not vaccinated right now, and that is a personal choice for him. But if he were to play for a team or play on a team that was in postseason consideration or played in the playoffs and he needed to be vaccinated for that reason— he would consider doing it. And essentially, what he said without truly saying that was that this Royals team is bad enough that they're not going to play in the playoffs, and they know that. So why would he get vaccinated if they're not going to play in the playoffs? But he was saying he would do it you know, for someone else or for a different situation. Well, funny enough... Dayton Moore in the Royals' front office found a suitor for Whit Merrifield, and it is that very same Toronto Blue Jays squad. And now, he has no choice. He has to get vaccinated, because if he doesn't, he won't be allowed into Canada, or to Toronto, or to play for the Blue Jays. So just funny situation all around there, that the Royals got a trade-off at the buzzer, for a player like Whit Merrifield, and they did it in the fashion that they did to the team that they did. Now, to talk about the the returns there, the Royals, again, got Max Castillo and Samad Taylor from the Blue Jays. Taylor is a 24-year-old, uh, has hit two fifty eight in 70 games at AAA Buffalo so far this year, ranking fifth in the International League with 23 stolen bases. He was drafted in the 10th round by Cleveland in 2016, out of California. Uh, he's played in 470 minor league games, and he appears to be right on the cusp of being major league ready, so to speak, which sounds good. Uh, but uh, as, a, as an infielder, you, you need some more of that, especially if you're getting rid of an infielder. And the Royals have certainly gotten their share of pitching from the trades that they've made over the last few weeks, including one they got here, and that's right-hander Max Castillo, a 23-year-old who made his Major League debut in mid-June this season against the Yankees, and he's got a 3.05 earned run average in just over 
20 innings pitched. He's appeared in nine games with two starts. And in part of six minor league seasons, Castillo has gone 45-18 and 18 with a 3.75 ERA with 474 strikeouts and just 152 uh, walks. That's an 8.2 K per nine rate for his career, which is That'll get it done. That is an outstanding number. So there's some encouraging things for Kansas City through these deals, uh, or at least this one, um, that you can focus on here. But that's the, that's the main the main trade that the Royals made. That's the headline grabber because to get rid of the franchise guy in Whit Merrifield, who's drawn a lot of you know unpopular thoughts lately with those comments that we discussed, but that wasn't the only move that the Royals made just ahead of the horn either yesterday at the trade deadline. But they also announced that they acquired outfielder Brent Rooker from San Diego for catcher Cam Gallagher. Rooker is a 27-year-old who spent most of this season with AAA El Paso, where he had hit two seventy two. With 19 home runs, 55 runs batted in, and 19 doubles, along with five stolen bases in 61 games. He appeared in two games with San Diego this year, uh, just seven plate appearances, but he spent two seasons with the Minnesota Twins and hit 10 home runs and 12 doubles in 67 games at the major league level. Uh, He signed with the Twins after they selected him in 2017 as a first-round pick at 35th overall out of Mississippi State. Uh, and again, the Royals gave up catcher Cam Gallagher, the 29-year-old, to just kind of sure up the catcher position for the Padres just a little bit, who made a lot of big-time moves yesterday. But Gallagher played in 18 games this year at the major league level, five runs batted in, nine hits. He spent parts of the last six seasons with the Royals. Um, in He had... 34 extra base hits in 469 plate appearances. He's not not really a big-time player for the Royals, but he's he's um, been the main backup catcher for the last five or so years. But now, as the Royals have MJ Melendez and, and a variety of other young talent that could p- play some catcher, specifically, though, MJ Melendez behind Salvador Perez, Cam Gallagher's kind of fallen on the back burner, so they've, the Royals found a way to get him more opportunity and got a decent return uh, in, in you know, got a return back there in Brent Rooker. A pretty solid outfield guy who can hit pretty well and has got some potential, uh, but not a bad couple of deals for the Royals to fire him off just ahead of the horn. So had to address that because we missed it in yesterday's show again. Uh, but that's going to send us in our first break when we come back. Got some football audio for you. Lance Leipold met with the media as the Jayhawks started their first practices of the fall camp season yesterday. Uh, so we'll hear what uh, Lance Leipold had to say coming up in the next segment. So stick with us. You're listening to In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. All Welcome back to In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 FM as well. I'm Jackson Schneider flying solo on this Wednesday afternoon evening here in Salina. If you missed our first segment, don't worry. You can check our Spotify page and catch up with everything you missed. Just search In the Zone on 1150 KSAL or 
in the zone, KSAL, or some col- col- collaboration. Wow, can't can't put words together. Any any form of those types of words of in the zone or KSAL on Spotify, you'll find us. Can't miss us. All our stuff is there. Um, we'll have our show posted as soon as this one is uh, finished with for the day. But uh, some good stuff with Vin Scully's passing and. Uh, of course, the Royals making some moves at the deadline yesterday. Uh, but that's, that's enough baseball for now, at least today. Uh, we had the Royals on earlier this afternoon on our airwaves as well after that uh, like lengthy rain delay as well. But uh, now I want to talk some football because the Kansas Jayhawks opened their uh, fall camp. They, they got kids on campus and had their first practice yesterday morning. And anytime a team has their their first uh, practice of a fall, head coaches meet with media. And although we were not able to be there in person, we've got the recordings of at least a portion of of that uh, presser because we don't have time to air the entire thing, but we do have a good handful of, of it. And uh, some important stuff he talks about, the comfortability of his team now that they had the full off season and where he expects quarterback play to be, and, and a bunch of different things. Uh, but uh, really impressive stuff. Every time I hear Lance Leipold speak, I just get more and more excited for Kansas football because I know a lot of our, our listening area are K-State folks. But it's going to be exciting because I do genuinely believe Kansas is going to be a much better football team this year. And people are going to start to believe it the more they hear this man speak. So we've got some landslide pulled for you uh, coming up right here. So uh, stick with us on In the Zone. Okay. Uh, we've talked a lot about comparing 2021 and 2022, the preparation ahead of the opener. Is, was this first fall camp practice any different than last year's just because of all the time you've been able to have comparatively to 2021? Uh, yeah, there's so many things that are different uh, that are for the for the better. I mean, obviously, as we've said many times, you know, the players know coaches, know what to expect. I mean, we still had, you know, a fair amount of new guys going through their first practice. So there's that little uncertainty and wandering of, you know, where, where am I going next or adapting to the pace and things like that. But all in all, uh, um, the amount that was put in, the communication, uh, yeah, there's some sloppy moments, but all in all, uh, you know, everyone's understanding and um, definitely in a in a good spot compared to you know last year. What you can go two to three weeks plus that we're still evaluating and trying to figure things out. Now you know we have an idea. Now it's more into it's still evaluating, but development at the same time. So it's a good feeling that way. Lance, we. Talked a little bit about Jalen and the entire uh, Big 12 media days and his mm-hmm. role and responsibilities here. Um, you joked even then, you know, do we even have to name him the starter? But do you, is that basically the plan now? Definitely. We're going to come back to that. Again, there's, uh, there's everybody's going to compete. Yeah. Do I expect Jalen to start game one? Uh, yeah, I would. But my, but. You know, I thought Jason Bean had a good day today, and I and I know there's some throws right off the bat Jalen wish he had back today. So, um, you know, so if you want to type right now, Leipold expects uh, Daniels to be the starter. Go ahead and type it, okay? And uh, but uh, I uh, again, um, you know, uh, that's probably the best way I'll answer it at this time. 
Beyond those guys, um, we know obviously what Jason can do. You've got two younger guys with, mm -hmm. with Ben and Ethan too. Um, yep. what, what are their responsibilities and roles in camp, and how can they help the other two guys get, ready? get better every day? Learn the offense, help point out things. Uh, you know, again, all the development that Jim does in the meeting room, uh, day by day. Um, it, he, you know, they continue to develop. Uh, Jordan Preston's here as well. Uh, all those guys have important roles for us to develop as a team. Um, you know, and we'll see kind of how the, you know, between Ben and uh, Ethan, you know, really, I guess will be the, the other battle there that we kind of, I say battle, competition. We'll continue to see, and you, you want to put yourself in a good position. Kind of back to the other question. Before you look at last year, you know, we had Jalen and Jason, Miles and Miles, and, and, and you know, you're trying to, you, you've had guys that have played in games, and but yet nobody ever really took the job. So you're trying to, we're trying to split reps four ways plus, you know, you're, you're not getting a lot done, I, I think, but our practice format allows us to do some things, but we'll get to the point where, you know, those other guys are going to be getting most of the work. You told the story there about Jeremy. Um, that position group, the defensive line, is, is probably your oldest and most experienced and one you didn't really have to address much in the past eight months. What do you like about that rotation and that group and, and those guys? Well, um, I, I, I want to make sure I'm clear. The defensive tackle position is yeah, the sure. one that was. Yeah. The defensive end position has been addressed. So I want to make sure that, that, that we're there. Lonnie, Lonnie Phelps has been brought in. Davian Westmoreland has been brought in. Dean Miller's been brought in. So two guys just had their first practice. Um, but uh, Hayden Hatcher's back off injury. Uh, Demarion Alexander at defensive end as far as uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Lee. I, Malcolm Lee's had a really good summer and uh, his most consistent summer and things. And really, really love to see him. And I think he's on a right track to uh, um, carry that in to, to August and September. Um, so I, I think, you know, in the area, if we're going to, we got to be better stopping the run. Okay, that's no secret. There's one of the reasons uh, we did what we did staffing wise, splitting, putting two coaches there so we can put more eyes on it. A lot of different things. So, uh, um, and I think Jeremy's going to be one of those key guys in, uh, when it comes to pass rush situations as well. I do like uh, the experience and maturity of the interior guys and, and some of the adjustments we've made in philosophy. And, uh, um, y you know, that I think will help us as well. How many D tackles do you want to get on the field of the game? How oh. do you want to divide those snaps? Well, it, we you too know, far from that? I don't know. I've been, I've, I've been a head coach now. This is like year 16, and I've had I don't know how many defensive line coaches, and they all want to take, like, every one to every game. And it's like and they want to – it's a great rotating position. Uh, how many do I want to? As many that are ready and are ready to go. But I can – you know, we could play six or seven, you know, when, uh, you, you know, you got Sam and Caleb, you got two young guys and Tommy Dunn and DJ, um, you know, Caleb Taylor, Taylor's had a, had a really good summer. He's holding his weight a lot better than he did a year ago. I think he's pushing 300. And I think there were times last year he was playing, I don't even know if he's under 260 some games. Um, and then Eddie Wilson and Ron McGee. So, um, 
you know, there's a there's a lot of pieces there. And again, one of the things is having consistent play, but also having depth that you're fresh in, the, in especially in the fourth quarter. I think I think Jim Panagos will, you know, find the solid rotation there for us. And I f- forgot Keenan Caldwell in there as well. That's why I always, that's why I never should name all the guys, Brian. You'll always forget one and don't want to hurt anyone there because so it's going to be competitive. And when we get to those things, and and, and I think the defensive line's a great example. Is that uh, you know they're going to fight for reps on uh, you know when you get in season Tuesday Wednesday I better be locked in and practice well. How would you rate the excitement of the first day? You know, it, well, I'm sorry. I think we got a lot accomplished and done. Excitement. I, I think there's also. Um, there was excitement. There's a buzz. You know, you can always tell like certain times when we get back together when they're around each other. I, I thought that was a lot yesterday. I think this group has a has a determination about them that, that how they want to approach things and, and and change really the direction of this program. At the same time, I think there's uh, always that um, anxiety. I don't want to say anxious, um, little nervousness. Um, Probably the way I felt a year ago, I didn't have that as much this time around because we know what we have with our players. And I, I think it's, um, you know, we're starting earlier than ever. The NCAA let us start a few more days earlier, but didn't give us more practices. And I think it's all in all, that's a good move because we get more, they, they'll get more days off in between that hopefully will continue to keep us healthy as we move forward. But this group's excited. I, I think. Uh, they, you know, you do all this stuff from January through the end of July, you know, and Coach Gildersleeve, you know, as he told them, as he finished up going through some of the stuff from the summer with them and the great results that, that they, they improved on, he said, uh, nobody came here to play weightlifting, okay? And you came here to play football, now it's time to go do it. Pretty encouraging stuff there from the head ball coach in Lawrence, Lance Leipold there, uh, after their first day of fall camp practice. And uh, it sounds like the Jayhawks are feeling pretty good. Obviously, they know there's a lot of things that need to be improved upon, and they're not going to turn themselves into a juggernaut overnight. But they have addressed a large portion of their needs via recruiting and the transfer portal especially. Um, and they, they feel really good about quarterback play. And all of that mixed together with a lot of, of, of consistency. A lot of places, there's a ton of turnover, be that in a head coach or an offensive coordinator or a new quarterback. Kansas is one of only a handful of teams in the entire country that returns their head coach, their offensive coordinator, and their starting quarterback from last year to this year. All of that combined, I mean, you're going you're gonna to see some, some noticeable leaps forward for Kansas this season, and I genuinely believe that. And, and if you don't believe that after hearing some of, of what Coach Leipold had to say there, just in that little tidbit, you're going to start to learn over the next several weeks because we're going to have more of his audio on because I just genuinely enjoy hearing what he has to say about this rebuild and what their plan is moving forward and how candid he is and honest because if, if you listen there, at, at Media Day, Lance Leipold had said he wasn't going to name a starter, even though everybody knows it's Jalen Daniels. The reason for that is he wants kids to compete. He wants them to get better. He knows they all have areas to improve on, despite whether or not he expects Jalen Daniels to be the starting quarterback or not, which, again, he does say. 
he goes and says, yeah, I, if you really want to know, I expect Jalen to be our starting quarterback. But that doesn't mean there's other kids that aren't solid or had good times or days today or whatnot. But it's encouraging because he knows and he's he is putting that out there to his entire team that no one can be satisfied with where they're at. There is work to be done, and that will translate into a lot coming in the future for Kansas. They've, they've addressed some needs, and they are – gelling together more now than they ever have so far under under Lance Leipold. And again, I mean th- he came in in April last year. He it was after fall or spring practice. All they had was fall practice last year before they started to play together. And obviously there's growing pains there. You're you're behind. You're playing catch up and having to figure out what you've got on the fly. No wonder they struggled so much. But as they started to catch up a little bit towards the end of the season, you genuinely saw them competing. They beat Texas. We don't have to beat that dead horse again. They were right in it with West Virginia and right in it with TCU. Even though they lost those games to end the season, there were tangible steps forward. And they used that to carry into a first true spring practice with this coaching staff and with these players and the new guys from the transfer portal. And that now carries over to the fall as they pick up where they left off in the spring and they're continuing to build there. And it sounds like, and and I genuinely, like I said, I genuinely believe they are getting better. I'm not going to sit here and predict Kansas to win seven, eight, nine games, but I think three or four, maybe five are on the table if they are growing as much as it seems. They very well could just win two and be more competitive. I would still consider that a success and a move forward because, again, it's not going to happen overnight, and it doesn't have to. Kansas and Travis Goff, their athletics director, seem very committed to Lance Leipold and his staff and what they're putting together, and right now we're just going to watch them grow over the fall and come basically a month from right now. We'll know. Where Kansas stands, they will. They have less than 31 days to their first game. They play on Friday night, September 2nd, against Tennessee Tech for game one. We'll know less than a month from now truly how much they've grown as we get them to see them on the field coming soon. But uh, good stuff from Lance Leipold. We'll have more of that in the coming weeks over fall camp and as the football season approaches. We'll take a timeout and be back with the final segment of In the Zone here on 1150 KSAL. Welcome back to the final segment of In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 on your FM dial as well. I am Jackson Schneider. James Wessling out for today. He's been on the morning news shift, so he he w- was heading out early today. The whole getting up early thing, not for us sports guys. It's just not not our thing. Got it. can't can't do it. We're late we're late night people, not early morning people. So I'm not going to hold that against James by any means, but uh, he'll be back in with us soon. But uh, some breaking news from earlier this afternoon, but the the NFL is going to appeal the ruling that Deshaun Watson of the Cleveland Browns got suspended six games. That whole thing broke on Monday morning, and they had until Thursday to appeal. But according to ESPN, 
and uh, author Jake Trotter, who published this article. The NFL on Wednesday did, in fact, appeal the six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson, seeking a tougher penalty for violating the league's personal conduct policy in the wake of disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson's ruling. In a statement, the league said it notified the NFL Players Association that it would appeal and then filed its brief on Wednesday afternoon. The league said that NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell will determine who will hear the appeal. Under the collective bargaining agreement, Goodell has the option to consider the appeal himself or he can appoint a designee to do so. The union also had the right to appeal the Robinson ruling, although it did issue a statement on Sunday night ahead of the ruling that it would stand by her decision and not appeal regardless of the result and called on the league to agree to do the same. So initially, it seemed like the NFL might in good faith you know, stand on it, whatever the ruling would be, but it, it clearly sounds as though the the NFL expected there to be a much harsher ruling than what did happen with that six games. Again, if you're unfamiliar with the situation, Deshaun Watson allegedly is dealing with over 20 instances of sexual misconduct in violation of the NFL's personal conduct policies. And although he, he has yet to be convicted of any wrongdoings, uh, this punishment, I mean, and, and it's it seems a little bit light considering the fact that Deshaun Watson, I mean, there wouldn't be over 20 allegations if there wasn't something here. There's just That's just unrealistic. There has to be something behind it, and I think that's what the NFL certainly believes as we wait on some of that litigation to come together on, on whether or not he's guilty of any of it or not. But uh, the, the NFL Players Association was going to stand by whatever because on one hand, you, you can't, you can't really fight it because, again, there wouldn't be 30 or whatever high high 20s allegations if there wasn't something behind it. But then also, if the penalty was, was too strong and you appealed that, that would look bad on the rest of the NFLPA because why would you be defending someone that committed some of these sexual misconduct allegations, right? So they, they're, they're going to stand with it whatever the penalty was. So it turns out to be six games, and then the NFL – it is unhappy, right? Because now they're getting blowback about how Calvin Ridley was suspended for an entire season for betting $1,500 on a game that wasn't even involving him, technically. He wasn't on the field, he wasn't playing for them, and he wasn't betting on them to lose. He was, in fact, kind of betting in favor of his team, and he got a year suspension, and there's been plenty of other hefty suspensions for marijuana use and other things like that. I mean, Josh Gordon has lost out on at least 25, if not more, games in his career because of marijuana policies, and that seems a little ridiculous now as the most of the United States begins to decriminalize and even legalize marijuana. So it's a sticky situation all around, but the NFL and Roger Goodell are appealing, so we'll find out here soon who is going to be coming with the next ruling, be that Roger Goodell himself or one of his designees. So we'll find that out here coming very soon on exactly what happens next with that entire situation. But that's not the only big headline from the the 
NFL in the last 24 hours or so, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver Marquise Hollywood Brown was arrested and charged with criminal speeding on Wednesday morning. You remember he was a big trade piece right before the draft and, and was added to the Cardinals wide receiving core because the Cardinals are going to be without DeAndre Hopkins for PED reasons for a good chunk of the season. So they needed additional help with the wide receiver room. So they brought in through trades Marquise Brown. Well, the Arizona Department of Public Safety said that Brown was arrested at 7 a.m. in Phoenix and booked in the Maricopa County Jail, but no other details were made immediately available. But for criminal speeding, criminal speeding. Now, where have we heard this before? Outside of the, you know, other things that happened in the NFL, criminal speeding is what happened with Henry Ruggs. He was driving drunk, but he was going like 140 miles an hour in a residential area and ended up crashing and killing a woman and her dog. So that this looks even worse on the NFL now because you have another criminal speeding incident with Marquise Brown, and the NFL has has been made aware of this, and so are the Arizona Cardinals. But man, not looking good for some of the happenings and the big headlines in the NFL right now as training camp really kicks off, and the the Hall of Fame game is tomorrow night with the the Raiders. And the Jaguars, these are these are rough headlines for the NFL. So hopefully they can get some things figured out. They can get some some better publicity right now than what they've gotten. But my goodness, some rough, rough headlines. And no thanks to uh, Marquise Brown for the criminal, criminal speeding. That can only tell me he was going anything over 20 miles an hour more than the posted speed limit but it's according to Arizona law it's only a misdemeanor but I guess that entirely depends on exactly how fast he was going and again that information wasn't immediately made available however I have to believe that's going to come out in the very near future it just has to there are too many good journalists that are going to be all over this story we're going to find out exactly how fast Hollywood Brown was driving in Phoenix earlier this morning That is, though, going to wrap up our show here on this Wednesday. Again, if you missed anything, you can always go to our Spotify page. As soon as we are wrapped up, that will be made available on Spotify. Search In The Zone on 1150 KSAL. And uh, you can look back at some of our other shows that we've had. And if you missed them, great interviews in the past. They're all archived there. Uh, Suggest you like, follow, subscribe, all those different things you got to do. Uh, to to know when we post new episodes, do that. Helps us. It helps you uh, because you'll know when our content is always available, and it helps us build what we are uh, trying to build to even greater heights than what in the zone already is here in our Salina area and beyond. But again, that's going to wrap up our show. Thanks to KU Athletics for the audio from Lance Leipold earlier in the show. Big shout out to the Dodgers and Major League Baseball as we played some of uh, the more famous Vin Scully audio as he passed last night. But uh, a good show uh, despite some of the the subject matter. I did enjoy it, but we'll be back tomorrow, 5.15, right here on In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL on 106.7 FM. I am Jackson Schneider signing off and saying, see you later.